This is the Nomad Futurist Podcast, a podcast about the evolution of technology, society, and transformation. Connect with us, share your thoughts with us at nomadfuturist.com. Let's get this started. Here are Phil and Nabil. Hello, hello, hello. Welcome to Nomad Futurist. This is your co-host, Nabil Mahmood, currently out of Seattle, Washington. This is your co-host, Philip Koblenz, joining you from Montclair, New Jersey. This is Elia McLeave from Vancouver, British Columbia. Well, you almost said Vancouver. <laughs> Canada. <laughs> <laughs> I'm assuming everybody knows that Vancouver is Canada. but a very high opinion of our audience. You have a very high opinion. <laughs> you never know. You never know. Yeah. Alia, thank you very much for taking the time to join us today. Uh, glad to see you. Let's start with getting to know you a little bit more. So could you tell us what do you do, who you are? Sure. I'm a founder and the CEO of the company called Innovork. Work is focused on uplifting the skills and expertise certifications of a highly technical workforce uh, with a focus on the cloud industry specifically. But I have spent my entire career, almost 20 years in the data center infrastructure as a service and sort of MSP space started back in early 2000s and been enjoying this ride four years ago taken the leap of faith to become a founder myself. And it's been it's been a character building experience for sure. Sort of moving from a corporate world of many years, becoming a founder and building a team and a product of my own. Heavy hang well, around, as they say. That's right. That's right. We'll get into how you started the company in just mm-hmm. a bit. But before we do so, let's step back in time. Mm-hmm. Where did you grow up? If your audience haven't heard about Vancouver, Canada, I don't know if they're going to, if they heard about the country called Uzbekistan. I was born and raised in the capital of Uzbekistan, the city called Tashkent, and I pretty much spent my, my, my youth there. And when I was 20 years old, I immigrated to Canada. Okay, so, so all of that part that me, all of the, all the schooling and stuff was in, in Uzbekistan. Was both, right? I got my engineering degree initially in Uzbekistan. I had this noble idea to save RLC. I don't know if you've heard about the situation in Uzbekistan with RLC shrinking. And I thought I'm going to be environmental engineer, right? So initially I thought I'm going to solve the problems of the world and basically make the environment better. There's a lot of issues there in Uzbekistan when it comes to environment because we had massive cotton production there from for former USSR at the time. And But when I started my university about maybe on the second year, I was, okay, this is not really for me. I want to do something else. My parents you have to graduate. You have to finish school. And I come from a family of engineers, right? So my mom, my dad, my grandparents were all engineers. So I, I had to graduate. But I knew around the third year of university, there was a calling for technology, spec for the technology side. And I started taking, at the time in Uzbekistan, as you can imagine, those scarcity of even access to computers. So I was one of the first, I think, in my circle among friends to have a present as a computer being present presented to me by my parents, right? So I've sort of taken courses at the time. I've started reading more and I've kind of got into this and into this field sort of of interest. And I knew that I wanted to pursue the career in technology. So that's that's sort of how it initially started. Hopefully I'm answering your question. (laughs) So was there any particular engineering that you were exposed to within the family 
And well, my parents are civil engineers, right? So even in my work, I always describe myself as a as a sort of procedural architect. When I joined the the cloud industry and the hosting industry, I I initially started as support engineer level one. That was my really first experience and exposure, and I've it gradually grew up through the ranks. I I moved to the supervisor position, then manager, director. And I've always applied the principles of engineering, of building things, creating things, reinventing, right? And I think that background that I had and education I had and, and the family that I come from, that that is always building, right? And we've gone through a lot of adversity, as you guys can imagine, because I have grew up in former USSR, Uzbekistan has gone through civil war, the breakup of Soviet Union, right? So there were a lot of challenges there. We went through, obviously, some issues there with Uzbekistan being on the border with Afghanistan, right? So it's a, it's a, it, it, it has been in the past a dangerous territory to be in. So we've always kind of learned as a family to rebuild, right? So we might have even been in situations where we've lost and we rebuild again. Right? So it, and that education, that, that upbringing taught me to continue reinventing and building. And that's exactly what I've done in my career, essentially. So why do you leave, why do you leave Uzbekistan? That's a good question. I've actually, as a, as a, it's a, it's a country where, and don't get me wrong, I love my country. I love my bringing, I'm Tatar. I don't know if you've ever heard about that nationality, kind of Euro-Asian, right? So we're in between of Europe and Asia and I'm Muslim by, by nationality. So, but I always knew that there's, there's limitation there of how far can I go and what I can achieve there, especially being non-Uzbek in the country, being a woman, right? So there, and I've, I've always thought I will immigrate, I'll leave the country. And it, it, that thought came to me early, I think maybe around 10 years that I, I will be moving. I started learning English at maybe around 16, 17. So it, it was it was pretty planned and I think it was deliberate for me immigrate as a skilled worker to Canada. And I, I just wanted to, to do more and to maximize my potential. That was one of the reasons really to immigrate. At the same time, I, I love the idea of kind of life coming the full circle and giving back to the country. Eventually, I was even telling that going back to Uzbekistan, opening jobs there, right, and giving back to the country I came from would be absolutely amazing. Did your, did your parents leave with you? I actually brought my parents here. So my parents, later on, I sponsored my parents to Canada and now they're in Vancouver as well. I'm the only daughter, so and we're so, so close as a family. I think it only made sense for us to be together in the same country. When did you move to Canada? So that was in early 2000. So that was around 2001, I think, if I'm not mistaken, somewhere there. So you came to Canada 2001. What was your first job? How was how, how that experience of transition to bring your skills that you developed and as a student in Uzbekistan to Canada? Different cultures, different society, different mm-hmm. educational platforms. Was there that level of acceptance? And at this point in time, I'm assuming you only had four or five years of English speaking. So how, how, how was that transition coming to, to, to the Americas? 
Oh, that was the fish out of the water initially. It was it was very difficult. But at the same time, you have to understand from a cultural perspective, being a 20-year-old woman in Uzbekistan, you're fully grown up. You're you're an adult, you're you have responsibilities, you're not a child, right? When I arrived in Canada and when people were asking how old I, I was, right, and I was 20 or 21, they're like, Oh, you're such a baby. I said, No, I'm not a baby. I'm 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 fully grown. So there's there's a difference. Definitely a big difference there in terms of maturity level in Uzbekistan. I think it's just because of the economical situation there and whatnot, right? There's just much more pressure on on youth and the expectations are greater. So when I arrived here, my first job actually was, and really introduction to the hosting and cloud industry was with a company called Superb. It was one of the um, first companies actually established in our sector. And I've joined them and actually stayed with the company for almost 10 years, growing from level one engineer all the way, all, all the way to the VP of services within that company. Yeah. And and that's the time that you came out and visited in Hawaii, right? That's right. Yeah. So the founder had a great idea and we all thought it was a great idea at the time to relocate the entire executive team to Hawaii and open the headquarters in Hawaii. So we basically several people from Vancouver, we moved to Hawaii. We built the team in Hawaii. It was, I stayed there for about three and a half years, but I got the island fever. Hawaii is a, is, a, is an amazing place. I made friends for life there. I really enjoyed my experience living in Hawaii. About a 20-something year old, uh, I was in my mid-20s, late 20s at the time. I was okay, I need to do more. I need to be in the East Coast. I need to, I need the huddle of the big city. So I, I think at that time, it was sort of, okay, I need, I need to do something else. All right. Yeah. A choice between Beale in Hawaii and, and Phil on the East Coast. She shows Phil. I just want <laughs> everyone to know. <laughs> That's right. That's right. Now, if I was given a choice, it might have been different, right? <laughs> but at the time I moved to Toronto, I joined the company called Softcom. I, I think you might, you guys might have heard about the company and then that company got acquired by Ingram Micro. And so I've spent two years, a little bit more in Toronto after Hawaii. Well, that's an interesting transition. So Ingram Micro now, so you're on the distribution channel. What happened thereafter? So after Stofcom, I actually at the time, I don't know if you remember the host, hosting con days. I'm sure we have. If you've been in the industry long enough, I'm sure you've been to those events. I've actually visited pretty much every single event. And then I started presenting at the events and being a public speaker at the events. And interestingly enough, at Stofcom job, I landed with the person, the CEO of the company being in the audience. And later on, when I was presenting at yet another event, a gentleman comes up to me after the presentation. He gives me his business card and he's like, you have to work for me. And I was like, who is this person? What's happening? And it turned out it was Christian Primo from iWeb. So he was newly hired CEO of iWeb at the time. And we've connected. He flew in, he flew me into Montreal for an interview around October, November time. He showed me beautiful, and it was my first time in Montreal. He showed me the, the the old city, and he said there was no snow and no churn. I had to move to 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 Montreal, and guess what? I, I've taken the leap of faith. I left Stockholm and I joined the web. I moved to Montreal in February. It was minus thirty. I didn't realize what I was signing up for, but it was a, a, a great experience, as you guys know. It got eventually acquired by INAP. So I, I've spent three years with iWeb, and then post acquisition, moved to Atlanta, Georgia to join Intranap. Yeah, 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 yeah. Just, just, just one aside, the notion that he told you that there's no snow in Montreal 
but he didn't let that. The reason there's no snow is because it's too cold. It's too <laughs> cold right. for snow. That's <laughs> it's, right. It's hilarious. But yeah. I think my, my whole life, honestly, it was all about looking back at my career. And I think to, to talk about your audience, right? Youth and, and, and the next generation really stepping into this industry. I think the big message that I have is taking chances and saying yes to opportunities, right? So if the doors, sometimes doors opening up in front of you and you might not even realize how amazing an opportunity it is, right? So a lot of times it's just giving yourself a chance. Even sometimes it's scary. Even my move to Montreal, it was, there's so many doubts. Can I do this job? Will I fit in into a French-speaking environment, right? So, because you can realize I'm, I'm, uh, English is my fifth language, right? Can I actually handle yet another language transitioning to that new city? But it turned out to be really an incredible experience. Chris was really by far, hi, Chris, if you're listening, the best boss I've had. It's just been, it's been, it's been awesome looking back at that opportunity. That, uh, cool. He's certain. He's certainly a heck of a sales guy that told you that there was no snow in Montreal. <laughs> he, is, he is a great salesperson. That's true. And more. The, uh, you're, you're obviously, you're obviously incredibly brave initially, right? Even before you started taking the leap of faith in the career, you took the leap of faith to move from Uzbekistan to, 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 to Canada. So I, I, taking those chances seems it probably comes naturally to you in general, but did you see any issues? So, so that takes a significant amount of confidence, clearly. Did you see any issues being in what is, I, I think, inarguably a male-dominated field engineer coming into the Canadian company as a, as a young girl, maybe not being taken as seriously as as you you would have been had you been older or or you've been a male? Is that well, absolutely? Yeah, you're absolutely right. It's the transition itself. At the time when I just joined, I think because of my language not being as refined, maybe some of the sarcasm I wasn't even catching initially, right? So it kind of stayed. Ignorance is bliss. I know, right? So it actually helped me at the time, maybe not to take things as personally because. I was still trying to fit into the culture and understand the culture. And as in English, a lot of things, it's not really about what is being said, right? A lot of it is between the lines and what's not being said, right? So it saved me, it helped me, I think, to preserve my psyche at the time. Also, also probably it helped whoever was saying it, I would imagine. Most, most likely, right? But we're talking about the early days, right? And I, I was the only a woman, actually, an engineering team at the time. And then I became the manager of that team. I started traveling across the states, going to the data centers. I think the way I was able to uh, earn respect and, and really kind of work through the ropes is through just pure, sheer commitment and, and, and work, right? So I, I've always... I think the work, work ethics is something that kind of comes naturally to me. I, I always try to do more and give more, provide more value. And, and I enjoy what I do. I, I, I really fell in love with this industry and I, I, I love being around people and uh, just organizing things. I'm sort of an organizer, right? I, I'm putting things together. So it, it just gave me that edge where the team just started to trust me and 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 put their livelihood in, in my hands where it comes to their career developing, career pathing. I've helped to unlock a lot of opportunities for the young generation, hired a lot of people, promote a lot of people in the industry. And it's just been awesome. When I transitioned to the executive roles and, and eventually became the VP and the SVP, again, being one of the first women at the table, it, it was it was 
challenging because a lot of times, depending on, on the audience, uh, you should, they sort of look at me and say, what is this bushy tail woman from Uzbekistan with the weird accent? Where is she coming from? And I am generally quite persistent. I think that's one of the things you have to know about me is that I'm, I, I sort of, there's ideas and I, I try to, I try to pursue them and, and execute, right? So, but overall, I think finding the sponsors and the company, people that believe in you, people that support you makes a huge difference. And I was quite fortunate to be able to do that in most of the companies I worked with. That's amazing. If given the opportunity and knowing what today and Uzbekistan was a primary market, Canada or America, would you have stayed back? I actually sometimes think about that. If I stayed there, what, how would my life look, Dave? What, what would I be able to accomplish? And it, it's difficult. It's very, very difficult, I think, to as a woman, as to, to be able to progress forward. I think things have shifted there because many years have passed. But even now, I think that why I'm excited about your guys' foundation and your mission, because you are you, you're opening up the doors and, and providing education that's really needed because a lot of times people don't even know what opportunities exist in the technology sector. As a woman, for example, I'm not your typical technical leader, for example, technical founder. I'm more focused on customer relationships, right? The operations, the customer success, the sales elements. And I think if I haven't been exposed to this industry, I wouldn't even know that those opportunities existed for the career development. I wouldn't have known that I could do more than just maybe building the product itself. Maybe I could be supporting that product, right? And unlocking the, the customer relationships. And that's exactly what I've been focused on throughout my career. So if it was a relatively similar opportunity would you stay in Uzbekistan or would you want to move to Canada? <laughs> Nabil, I think, I think, I think Nabil is representing well, the second major of uh, chamber no, of ours. That's right. Uh, the point that I'm trying to make or, or get, get across, uh, times have progressed. We are in a much different place than we were 20 years ago. If people were given an opportunity in the areas that they are born and the markets are relatively similar and they can make good money, they can support local economies. And let's forget about culture, religion and other scenarios that are dictated by the leadership and the local geos and suppressing the economy. If opportunities were similar and or equal, mm. would you have chosen to stay in Uzbekistan or still would have preferred to move into a primary market, Canada or, or America? That's a, that's a good question. I think if the opportunities were equal, I most likely would stay. And the reason for it now, looking after 20 years of immigration, I, I look at some of my friends locally here where they have friends that they grew up with, they went to school with, right? They have relationships they have built for years, really, from childhood. I unfortunately cannot enjoy those benefits, right? So because of the relocations that I've, got, I've gone through living in 10 years in Canada and then in the States, I, I'm always building ground up, right? I'm always building new relationships. And you're sort of, you, you're losing that sense of uprooting in, in, in some way. And obviously bringing my parents here, that helped, right? But even for my parents, the transition was very painful. It was very difficult to actually sort of like deeper the roots of the tree, the harder it is to replant, right? And that's exactly what we have gone through. They were sort of my children for the first three years of immigration. Immigration is very, very difficult. And I 
think if there is an opportunity to, if there was an opportunity to to achieve what I have achieved here and make them that make make the living that I'm making here, that would be obviously a no brainer. I would stay in my country and I would continue working. And that being said, it's an impossibility, right? It's not really yeah. about presenting those, the creating those opportunities out of thin air. There's so many geopolitical things that are, are have existed for generations that will likely continue to exist for generations beyond. Um, I, I do think it's it's incredibly valiant that you want to try to give back even to your your native country and, and try to find ways to at least create progress in, in, in an area where I think the lack of it is a feature, not a bug. Uh, mm-hmm. to try to suppress a lot of the populations in, in those countries and, and in a lot of the surrounding um, countries. Do you still have friends in, in Uzbekistan? Have you gone back? Have your parents gone back? No, I haven't gone back since I immigrated. Unfortunately, we are planning a trip next year. I do have friends. We do thanks to social media and obviously. Thank the, you, Internet. The, Thank you, Internet. Yeah, I, I do have friends. We're keeping in touch. We still have relatives there that we're helping. Now, I, to, to comment on the on the idea of sort of unlocking the opportunities across the world, Innovorg, in fact, the company that I'm building was built on that premise of fair and equal opportunity to people. And eventually, I, I'd love to get to a point where we help people around the world build the skills in a very specific domains, right? Like, digital services and cloud, because those skills are difficult to obtain and not everybody knows where to go, what skills, what the expectations are for particular roles, right? So that's exactly what we're focused on. Initially, I started solving the problems that I've seen operationally, where every single team I've worked with, they're sort of, they were telling me there's just so much bias. We cannot progress forward towards the next level of our career. What are the expectations of this company? And then they get so frustrated, they just leave, right? And go to the next company. And then they deal with the similar issues. But now I, I'm sort of looking at things from, from a perspective of the world, right? What can we do to, to give back and unlock those opportunities? And I think the life kind of coming a full circle meeting you guys, because those are the problems you're also trying to address, right? So it was really exciting for me to to build this connection with, with your foundation. Yeah, and we look forward to collaborating and working with you. So I'm actually reading, I, I had an opportunity of reading this article that you had published on LinkedIn mm-hmm. and I, w- I want to get your take on it. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to read it out loud over here. I struggled to find my true communication style. In certain situations, when I stood my ground, I would get called direct, bold, or borderline masculine. However, when I was nurturing and empathetic, I would get called a mother and my direct reports, dragons. <laughs> a mother of the dragons. Totally happened to me. Yeah. Yeah. So I've actually had an experience. It was interesting because I've as a as a as a Middle Eastern woman, Bill, I'm sure you can sort of understand that I, I love the feminine part of being raised in Uzbekistan. It's in it's sort of in it, you, you're you're raised with it. I, I was taught how to cook from the age of six. So, for example, right, I was taught how to be a good wife, how to be a great host. We're Women are raised there, especially in my culture, to be feminine, to be wives, to be mothers. That's how you, that's how you are my upbringing, essentially. Not to be bosses, not to be businesswomen, not to be entrepreneurs, right? It's just very different culture. So when I arrived in Canada, I've 
sort of struggle to find that level of balance and identity where that upbringing kind of was coming, shining through. At the same time, the expectations of the society were different, right? Where there's a little bit more masculinity, a bit more. And I've sort of struggled to find that, that communication style for the longest time. And I think now getting older, I, I realized that the only way forward is just to be yourself, right? And people either will you or will not. People that don't you, they will not do business with you regardless, right? So, but at the time I've had a lot of so-called mentors, right? And initially and I had situations, really funny stories. I don't know how much time we have, but my first experience in, in for example- Depends how funny the stories yeah, I'll, I'll, tell, I'll tell you a couple of funny stories. So very short, my first experience being promoted to the supervisory role at the time, my boss calls me for coffee and, and it was a female and she says, it was really distinguished. She's like, we sit down and she's like, hell yeah, this is you. She draws the line on the table and she's on the other line, this is your team, right? So she's like, do not cross this line. Do not tell about yourself, your personal business. Keep the keep. She's basically the recommendation was to build a wall, right? And I am 20 something years old from Uzbekistan, an immigrant, right? I'm still learning. And she is this role model for me, right? And she's obviously achieved a lot. And I'm like, okay, I need to guard. I need to build high walls. I need to guard my personal life. And so I, for the longest time, I was sort of trying to separate and build the separation. And then when I was working with a new company, a new team, there's Elia, we love you so much. You're just amazing as a leader, but we don't know who you are as a person. We really do not have a lot of insight of what do you love? What, and I sort of started to realize, okay, that advice didn't quite make sense at the time. I was sort of following the, and I, I guess the lesson from it is just, again, follow your gut instinct. You you need to be yourself. You And especially with, them, with staff that you're working with, I think letting them to get to know you, who you really are, makes things just much more fun and much more enjoyable in the workplace, right? And then another experience I had in terms of the, the 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 communication style, another CEO of the company calls me in for lunch. I don't know. They always kind of mentor me during lunchtime and, and uh, used what to do they about lunch? coffee time. I don't know. I'm not sure. And he sort of, Elia, you are really pointy. You're very direct. You got to be more settled. You need, you cannot point things out in such a straight fashion. You need to be. And I was, I started really thinking about that because I thought, hey, directness and being able to call call things as as they are was was a great thing. So at that time I sort of started processing, hey, what advisors really make sense and what do not. And I ended up parting ways for the company soon after, fortunately. But I, I've sort of I was able to find what my that voice. Person's name? I could tell you, but I was I, I was able to find my voice, Nabil, eventually. It took me some time. And I can tell you, it, it's interestingly enough, there was another post I made about sponsors in the company. I've never really had a female sponsor in the company, unfortunately. It's always where male sponsors and 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 in my corporate experience, supporting, uplifting, sort of helping to push forward. And females sometimes to some reason, there's just a lot of competition in corporate, right? It's just, and I'm not sure why and what what specifically is happening. I'm trying to break the mold and give back to women that I obviously mentor and work with. But yeah, it's it's been, maybe it's just because of scarcity of women. There's so few of us in this competition and there's only maybe one or two at the four, at the executive table. Yeah. What was so, it, the, the yeah. Madeline Albright, the Madeline Albright quote of there's a special place in hell for women that don't help other women. I think one thing that I'm hearing as you're talking 
is 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 almost similar in politics. The hardest thing to be able to be is authentic because you have to be vulnerable. You have to have enough confidence in yourself that you're not hiding maybe some knowledge that you think somebody thinks you had. Everyone has this kind of fear. And I know I do. Uh, when you're speaking, you're going to be discovered that you're faking it or, or, or whatever. When in reality, the more authentic you are with, with others, the more generally you have a couple of bosses that would probably disagree with that fact. They will embrace you and, and help lift you up because you're you're removing that veneer of just bullshit. So I think I think it's it's incredible to hear it from your perspective, but I'm just hearing authenticity and 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 everything else is getting in the way of authenticity because you're building artificial walls or you're creating a, a compartmentalization with the way you deal with your professional relationships versus how you deal with your personal relationships. One thing I found in my career is that I don't think of work as work. I think of work as how I spend my day. I, we, we, it's, it's a struggle to find a nuance between a work-life balance and a recognition that work is this notion that you're doing something that that you're not enjoying in order as a means towards an end. But if mm -hmm. you enjoy it and the people that you work with end up becoming extended families, obviously there there, there are lines that shouldn't be crossed and, and things that, that get a little weird. It's mm -hmm. just so much more enjoyable to feel you don't have to play a part or play a role and you get to be you. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah, I think there's a lot of similarities between the three of us. Phil grew up in America. We both immigrated. And I, I can relate to the challenges that you just brought forth. You're trying to adjust to society. You've got totally different expectations. You don't understand the culture at an early on age when you moved in. And uh, to excel in the corporate culture, we are taught to stay within the boundaries and not say things unless we are 100% positive about it to please the audience. So we're basically a glorified puppet <laughs> and we lose our voice in doing so. And at the end of the day, it's not, you, you, you put it very well, that it's not a popularity contest. You're not going to be Dr. Phil for everybody. You've got to be yourself. So thank you very much for sharing that. To add also on that, Nabil, I, I, I think for the younger generation, if anything, I can add, and especially immigrants, right, that are coming from other countries, joining the, the corporate lanes and trying to progress in their careers. Generally, what I've experienced, the companies do not nurture the authenticity specifically or sort of there, there's the notion of, hey, you being a great soldier, right? You producing great results. And nobody is really teaching you that, hey, being part of being a great soldier, producing great results also can mean having your own personality, having your own great style. You don't need to hide, right? And I think that's those are the things that I've been sort of trying to come to terms with because, for example, I had a great fitness career in parallel. I was always passionate about health and fitness. And I started competing in fitness. I Five years I've been in, in sort of like competition arena. And I was carefully hiding that part of my life from the work because I thought it's going to take away from work. It's about 40 minutes in. You were carefully hiding it from us. <laughs> That's so good. That that it would hurt me somehow, right? And and eventually I realized that, hey, it's it's a great thing. It's an asset. So don't be afraid to be yourself and, and let your colleagues and let your boss to get to know you. Yeah, I and mean, it's okay. okay. Back on the fitness thing. Can we get back? What type of competition? I, get it, I, I do I, remember I, seeing a picture on LinkedIn 
I got myself in trouble here. I've actually got into, it's it's funny, I from the young age, I always was, was passionate about sports, but my parents always kind of were pushing me into academics and sort of the, the music and I was in math and all of that. And then when I moved to Canada, there was a gym in my building. I was, I'm going to start working out. So I started going religiously daily, right? Started reading about that. Me being a nerd, I'm, I'm always trying to go to the next level. I found a trainer and the trainer, she had a competition in, in Vancouver called Femsport. It's a strength competition for women. So I ended up competing in Femsport and then she got me, we call it a competition bug. She got me into the fitness competitions where you sort of the Fitness America style, where you basically have a dance routine and you also are judged on your body composition, right? So I've sort of got into that. And that was, it's a, it's a pretty, it's a pretty tough sport. You might think it's, it's sort of, it's not as difficult, but it's from a dietary perspective training. It, it was, it was quite intense. And, but at the same time, looking back, I think it, it kind of helped me to develop a stronger discipline and, and just build an incredible network of friends. As if, as if, as if our audience didn't think you were cool enough already, you've just gotten <laughs> even cooler. The thing that's, that's incredible about it is you think about the, the, the tech person, the, the, the engineer all around, there is no mold that you fit into, right? Fitness is not usually something that's, that's, that's thought of as a, as a, as a primary characteristic of and, someone that and, enters our field, right? And Phil, as a Muslim woman coming from Uzbekistan, standing in bikini on stage, this was this was totally um, overriding my my history and my upbringing. It was a bit of a rebellious, I guess. To it, answer your question, Abil, no, there is no chance she could have stayed in Uzbekistan. This <laughs> <It> is not. <laughs> not, 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 not <laughs> yeah. That's when Eddie Murphy's line comes into play. Welcome to America. Good morning, my neighbors. <laughs> Oh All right. God. So now you've gone through this corporate journey and uh, uh, then you started your own company. How, how has that experience been to be a founder and a CEO of a startup and raising capital and developing a product line? That's been a roller coaster for sure, because when I left the corporate, I actually became a mom at the same time. So I left uh, the corporate world. I was about six months pregnant. So it, I had my son. He is he just turned six years old, by the way. And and uh, at, at the same time, and that's the amount of time I've actually been out of the corporate world at this point. I so started you know, what, a perfect, what a perfect way to gauge it. Yeah, now you don't way, have to think about it. He's I don't have to think about it. He's, right. he's my business baby, that's for sure. So <laughs> I, started, I started working for myself basically at the time when I was expecting consulting. So I initially started the consulting agency and I've run that pretty successful. I was able to substitute my corporate income fairly quickly. And the, the, the funds I started two years later investing into the SaaS business, I've always had this idea about the platform and the product. And then as I started consulting, I realized the needs are even greater than I anticipated working with the organizations that I did before. And a lot of it is really comes down to companies not being able to create clarity when it comes to the skills requirements across the entire product and service. Because people aren't pointy enough. <laughs> I guess, right? They didn't they, they didn't have Alia in the company. Well, all of the companies I worked for, we did have the the skills clarity and the certification clarity elements. But yeah, I've I've, I've essentially the, the vision of the product was there. And I started rallying up the, the technical co-founders. I've I've reached out to a few people and I have found one. Unfortunately, I went through through the entire kind of founder journey. We did part ways a year into the company being founded. 
And I ended up being a, a solo female founder in tech, which is all of the investors were saying, this is such a bad idea. And Elliot, do not do it. I was like, okay, let me, let me do it. I'll do it. But it's been, it's been an incredible journey overall. We've, I was able to bootstrap the business to revenue, bring the product to the market, commercialize the product. We have some awesome companies doing business with us from the industry. I think you, you guys know Syntax, Databank, Cloud Linux, and more. There's just few, few logos there and 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 the mix and we've secured our first pre-seed funding last year with a number of CEOs coming from the industry to to basically support and support us on our mission we've, we've hired full-time staff and we're basically on our way forward at this point but to get to this point it definitely has been difficult the lows are very low the highs are very high at times I'm, I'm feeling like I'm, I'm riding the the biggest wave out there and um, it's amazing sometimes I'm feeling I'm, I'm falling down from the, the, the biggest cliff, a cliff there. And it's just, it's a totally different ride from a corporate because there's no stability, there's no security, there's a lot of unknowns. But I had this idea of, of a challenge of reinventing myself. And I think it was meant to be at this Plus, point. You, sure, you, you, you trust yourself. And I think that's the, that, that's, that's the main thing. It's, it's, it, I think w- what people struggle with when leaving the corporate structure is, is there, there are a couple of things. There are obviously the stability and all that, but really a lack of confidence in their own ability to generate the, the, the same amount of income when in reality, your pay is, is a fraction of what you're generating for, for that corporate company. I'm not telling everyone to go out there and quit their corporate jobs, but what the gig economy has taught us, this has come up on some previous co- podcasts, is that we are the commodity. The person is the commodity. So you, the, the fractional, fractional CEOs, fractional CIOs, fractional CTOs and, and, and operating officers, there's, there's plenty of opportunity for the value that you bring to a company being something that you can monetize in and of yourself. Obviously, you've taken it to the crazy next level, which is to raise money and and all those things. Out of those things that you've had to do that are outside your comfort zone, outside of what you had to do in in the corporate world, what has been the most challenging? Huh. I think the the just loneliness factor for me, right? That was the biggest challenge. I think I'm I'm not afraid to work. I I always I'm sort of I'm I'm one of those people that still 20 years in I'm in, in my career I wake up at four in the morning I, I can go on till 9 p.m and I'm still ready to go I, I just love what I do and but with the the being on my own, that was the biggest shift because coming out of the last company where I had 250 employees in my team and I had VPs and directors and managers and I was, was traveling, I was so busy in high demand. All of a sudden, I'm a sort of solo founder in my little office with my laptop doing my thing, right? Trying to to build a product and rally the, the people around me. That was the big shift, right? And I've sort of, it, it has a mental, it takes a mental toll on you for sure. That's why they're saying being the founder is not for everybody. I think one of the reasons is you have to be extremely risk averse. You need to be able to take risks and really rely on universe that it, it it has your back and everything will work out at the end. Just have to trust it. And it does, guys. It does work out at the end. Yeah, I'm not at the end of my journey yet. Just watch and see. And then the another 
uh, element is the the mental element is where you need to have friends, you need to have the family, you need to have people around you that can sort of counterbalance that loneliness that you're going through as a founder. And even right now with the team growing, I still I still feel it's a it's a quite lonely journey there being a CEO and a founder, right? Um, so you need to find things that kind of that, that fill your fill your bucket. Right. As my son said, are you a bucket filler or a bucket dipper? So I find bucket fillers. I surround myself with people that actually make my life more fulfilled. Right. Well, I think I, I find a new my, my business card is not going to say bucket filler. The, <laughs> I do think I've also come up with a new fractional gig economy thing, which is fractional co-founder. You can always call us, Elia, if you need um, some <laughs> support or well, you need to, to, to feel the same solace. That, that, Likewise, well, I really appreciate it. Well, at least you've got an office and Bill's got an office. I'm on the move. Well, you're <laughs> my traveling office, a lot. My office, my office is also my kid's playroom. I'm not sure. I'm not sure that you can call what I have. Mine is a fractional office. I have a desk. <laughs> there you go. Hey, what are your future plans? What are you thinking of doing at, uh, besides selling this company for zillions of dollars and making all exactly. the people that invested in your pre-seed thing is super bazillionaires? Well, we, we are building a unicorn company, first of all. I, I do believe we have a, we, we, we are meant to be a billion dollar company. And oh that's exactly God. what we're pursuing. I know every, oh every, every founder tells you the same Please. thing. So, but it's not, it's not even about the numbers, Phil. I think for me, it's really coming from where I came from. Rough the numbers, as long as it starts with a B. Yeah, as long as it starts with a B. But where I started, right, the journey that we had, I, I think it's about the impact and its ability to influence a larger audience. I do want the product to be in the hands of every single company out there, especially technology company. That's really our mission. We want to go global and we want to the companies to build stronger workforce, right, and to develop the skills of their employees. And maybe with your guys' foundation, we even will put it in the hands of, of, of youth, right? And right. that would and, be... And, and, and it was Becky Youth that's trying it was to... was Becky uh, Youth. Why to, not, hey, right? That I would be... I'm a, trying to a bikini-wearing <laughs> fitness model. Oh, uh, my God. You see? Engineer. You see, you see, I always... that That's one of the reasons for the comments that I always... Should I share that I'm of actually... Of course you should share. Fitness. First of all, the picture was on LinkedIn. <laughs> so don't blame me. I, I shared it uh, long before. I was waiting to see how long it took to share it with the audience. Because but, uh, our, our industry being so male dominated, right? There's there's no no surprise why women are being so guarded, right? Because there's certain information you share and it's, do, do I get do I get understood properly? Do I still get the respect that I want to get, right? Some of those elements- Confidently in Europe. You're just you. It doesn't matter what anybody else- <laughs> That's true. That's but well, the day, there's one thing I'll say about your, your, your unicorn desire. I think the, I think morally- an amazing goal that you have to 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 give companies the ability to match them with level the playing field in terms of matching talent with 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 need is is an incredibly moral focused goal. But you do not need to be a unicorn to think that you have succeeded. You've already succeeded, like far beyond where you should have. So <laughs> take a breath. Thank and you, Phil. Congratulate yourself. Taking a, a breath is not about me. That's it, for sure. I'm still climbing at this point, you, you, but I understand what you're saying. Get there. You'll get, you'll get unicorn, not unicorn. It's fine. The investors will make their stupid money. It's not about that. It's about <laughs> you actually making something out of nothing. And it's incredible. It's, it's amazing. Just listening to this part of the conversation, culturally speaking, how grown up is very similar to you in a lot of ways, whereby we want to put the best foot forward. We want to do it. We want to do it right. And we want to do it now. 
versus, you know, waiting it out. Take it easy. Everything will come fall into place. When it, when it's the right time, it will happen. Oh yeah. So based on your experiences and your skill set on your journey thus far, if given the opportunity to do it all over again, is there anything that you would do different? What? No. I, I am looking back, I think there are a lot of lessons learned for sure. Nobody is perfect. Everybody makes mistakes. But overall, looking back at this journey, I'm just extremely proud of what I've been able to accomplish, the friendships, the relationships I've been able to build. And now being on this new journey of building a product and building this team of my own, it's just been a blessing. And I think everything is happened as it, it was meant to be. And I'm excited about the next chapter of my life. And hopefully you guys are going to be checking in on me in maybe another several years. We'll see where I'm going to be. But yeah, no, no regrets. And I wouldn't rewrite the book. The, uh, I have one question, which is when you're, when your parents, when you left Uzbekistan, were your parents, were they, were, were they supportive of that decision? And uh, whether or not they were supportive of the de that decision, what do they think of it now? My dad always wanted me because he worked internationally in the past as well. He always wanted me to immigrate. So he was a big supporter of it. My mom wasn't so much because I'm the only child and they didn't really want to, she didn't want to let me go and she wanted me to be close by. Now we're in the same uh, country. And uh, I think it's been, it's been awesome. Another thing, my mom has a, just a little bit on the personal side, she has a, a heart condition. And I think if it wasn't for Canada and the sponsorship and her getting the surgery she needs at the, and, and getting the care that she got here, most likely she wouldn't even survive. Right. So I think it's just overall, and I know I was meant to be in Canada. It, it was so, meant to so be for us. So it does. So it does all work out. It does work out at the end, guys. It all works out at the end. <laughs> so here is obvious quote. Work hard, upkeep your education, stay relevant. It's okay if people don't take it seriously right away. Surprise them and they will pay you back with gratitude and loyalty. Alia, thank you very much for taking the time to join us today. This has been absolutely phenomenal. Thank Likewise. You thank you both. Thank you. This has been great. Nothing lasts forever. Markets will come back, currencies will rebound, businesses will go on, and we'll all move on. That could happen next week, next month, or next year. I'm confident that those who prepare rather than panic will come out of this stronger. Thank you for joining us. This has been brought to you by Nomad Futurist. Check us online at nomadfuturist.com.